with the world of comic books and pop culture ever-changing. How are fans meant to keep up with the trends in the industry? Is the new event from the Big Two worth reading? What's the story on that show from that network about that hero from that comic book? Can I trust a movie review from someone who hasn't even read the source material? We have the answers you seek. These are my Big Fat Pull List's current issues. Welcome to another edition of Current Issues, where your hosts take a long, hard look at the world around them, ignore the more pressing topics, and discuss what they think are the most important news items going on in comic books and pop culture. I am Mr. X. I am Dr. Impact. I am Smurfy. And back on the beat as ever is your intrepid reporter, Marv Danger. Our top stories for this episode include looking at the latest alien invasion targeting Marvel Comics in Empire, examining how Amazons deal with the apocalypse in Wonder Woman, Dead Earth from DC Comics, trying to clean that Texas blood off of our hands over at Image Comics, and peering into our crystal balls to see what the future holds for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in film and comics. Spoiler warning! From this moment on, spoilers are in effect. In the show notes for this episode on our website, we will have listed the time code for each of these segments. So, if you do not want to be spoiled by something that we're talking about, just skip ahead, go watch, read, or do what you have to, and then finish the episode later. You have been warned. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel... Meh. I am currently reading the summer blockbuster hit, Empire. Not to be confused with the show Empire on Fox. This is Empire with a Y. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> this is completely different. Completely didn't want to get you guys confused. For once with the summer blockbuster, I am getting some of the tie-ins, but I decided just to read the main story to see how it goes, because I've never really experienced it just by reading the main story and seeing if I'm lost or not. I'm only on issue three. It feels very familiar. It feels somewhat boring. And it feels like that we've already kind of like done this before. With that being said, though, I do like some of the new characters that I've been introduced to or characters are finally expanding on. Like Hulkling, I think they're doing a really good job with him and he's interesting. The Fantastic Four is kind of different and I feel like that they changed up the art a little bit. Like Mr. Fantastic to me looks like John Krasinski from The Office. And I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but that's just every time I see it, that's all I can think of. I think they're doing that intentionally all across the board. I think they're trying to either entice him or they've already signed him and not announcing it and they're prepping audiences for I I think that's intentional. He's come out for a while and said he went to be a superhero. You know, like he's willing to do it. Like he went to be Captain America back then. He was I was gonna say he was a previous choice for Captain America before Chris Evans came in and took it. Um, I think they had also looked at him at one point in time for Hawkeye. He, he's been in their crosshairs for right. a while. Uh, and, and him and Emily Blunt as uh, Invisible Woman, I heard they went to get like a package deal because that's his yeah. wife. So, yeah. And every time I look at him, I was like, man, like they, he just looks so familiar. But like the story's okay. But it, to be honest with you, to sum it up, it's, it's the Avengers versus plants. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not to dumb down it that much, but that's exactly how it feels. It's really kind of weird. Like when you're first reading the story without reading any of the tie-ins or pre-stuff, you know, the Kree and the Skrull have joined forces and they're heading towards Earth and you don't know why. But, you know, the Avengers are like, we need to act. And then you find out that Hulkling is there now like a ruler. Like he's in charge of both since he is both. And he rallied everyone together and they're like, oh, you're going to go defeat Earth. And you don't find out for a couple of issues what they're really doing. And it's really just kind of weird. Well, like, I don't what, know are how... they, what are they doing? I'm picking it up, but I haven't right. touched it yet. I actually had to put two books back that my comic shop put in my pull list and i, I appreciate the, the sentiment because they'll put in issues that kind of relate to things but i was like yeah i no, no i'm not getting anything <laughs> extra for empire with a y or an i <laughs> and like i was a little confused on this so maybe uh mr x and uh dr impact can help me out on this originally it was the Cree 
were with another race. They, they were made at the same time, but the Kree evolved faster and eventually kind of won out. So this other race is more plant-like and uh, they needed help from the Avengers or so they say until this like death blossom came about and was grown and gave them like supernatural powers. And they had the ability to uh, control every aspect of anything that was formerly a plant. So that means that like your lettuce and your salad, they could control and have it attack you or no, like that, the soil. You, think you pretty much nailed it. Was that it? I thought maybe <laughs> I was confused on it. Cause like they, they, they sum up kind of quick and fast and I was like, maybe I misread that. So. I mean, I mean the basic nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. You, I okay. mean, you, you kind of hit it. Right. You know, which, which again is the part where I'm like, it reminds me of the old 1987 G.I. Joe cartoon movie where the Cobra Law uses plants to shoot the Joes. And it's like, whoever heard of getting shot down by a salad? Like, these guys are getting taken out by their food. And the whole time, they're like, yes, it's time for the plants to, ri- to rise and the carnivores to be destroyed or whatever. And you're like, that's just a really weird concept to me. Okay. That's very interesting, I guess. Right. I'm interested to see how it plays out in X-Men because now that I'm caught up to the powers in house to see what Krakoa is about. Cause part of it is too. They're like, Oh, we also use the plants to teleport. I'm like, wow, that's kind of like an exact ripoff of what Hickman was doing in house of X and power of X. So I was just like, Hmm, they do address that in the empire X-Men first issue, the, the mini series. I don't, I have M, I have X Men issue ten, which is the actual X Men book tie in. Okay. And I haven't I haven't read that yet, but the the X Men miniseries they do start to address that there. But mm. yeah, you're right. It is it is very much the same thing. Uh, we can thank COVID for also making this giant event smaller than it originally was going to be, because there would have been a number of other miniseries and tie-ins in other books that would have accompanied it. There was supposed to be a Spider-Man miniseries. Mm-hmm. Many they, of which are still in the checklist in the back of the book. They didn't alter the checklist. A lot of the books that huh, have huh. been canceled are still on that checklist. That's uh, except for the newest one in issue four. Oh, see, I haven't picked up issue four yet. So, right. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm the only one here that is, is current on empire. Cause I picked up my books today and read them. So I am officially caught up where Empire is concerned. I I agree with you, Smurfy. It does feel it feels familiar, and we're going to touch on this because we have a we have an episode that we're planning on doing about events and their sequels mm-hmm. and how their sequels stand up. And this right here, Empire, feels like it's a a forced sequel. To the Kree Scroll War. Oh, that's a great way to put it. You're, that's exactly I, I, yes, what it is. Yeah, that, you're right. right. That is a great way to put it. That's why it feels so familiar to me. Like we've been here before. So, and I say forced because, uh, well, how do you make it different? Well, you make the Kree and the Scroll work together, and they're fighting something else. Exactly. And we're caught in the crossfire. Earth is always caught in the crossfire. In any galactic situation, Earth is always. Caught in the cross, and I understand because if Earth isn't caught in the crossfire, then yeah. why are the heroes? Why would the heroes be involved? Right, yeah. right, right. Still, it's it's again. We're going to do this again. Fight your own damn plants. The thing is, though, is that it's it's filled with history. There, there is a lot of Marvel history woven into this story, and that's something that I am appreciating. I like this story only to the point of I kind of wish I'd only been picking up the miniseries. I am picking up everything Empire except for books that I wasn't picking up uh, before, like uh, the Captain Marvel stuff. Not getting that. I don't buy Captain America comics, so I'm not picking up the Captain America miniseries that goes with this. Had the Spider-Man miniseries come out, I would have gotten that because I collect Spider-Man. You know, I'm of course I'm picking up the X-Men miniseries because hi, Mr. X, how you doing? Uh, but that's another weird thing because the X-Men have a miniseries, but they're ongoing. At, at least the X-Men book also is tied into Empire. And I'm wondering why the double dipping? There's no X-Men in the current story going on right now. Well, it's not because because it's Avengers and Fantastic Four Empire, right. but still that's the I name mean, of the book. Yeah, but still, like Wolver- not even Wolverine's in it. Wolverine's in everything. Well, well, right. But the, the the point that I'm making though is 
why are we having a mini series for Empire where the X Men are concerned if as the main well. book? It will. I mean, sure, that is weird. Is tying in as well because yeah. I got to be honest, the mini series isn't doing anything for me. Actually, oh, the really? mini series is pissing me off. Hmm. Now, I think has issue two of the mini come out? Did that come out today? That came out Mr. today. X-A? Okay. Yep. I am very much in the minority of this group in the sense that I am enjoying the book. I also agree that it's nothing new. I am enjoying the story overall, but, but before we even get into, into all that stuff. Yeah. Mr. X, I agree with you. The, the empire X-Men number one was like, what is this? What what am I reading? What is this? Can't wait to read my copy. (laughs) Another thing that we can be grateful for, for COVID. And, and I know that sounds like a weird statement, but you know, look on the bright side of things. Had COVID not happened, all of this stuff would have been coming out a whole lot slower. True. It's interesting. If you look at the, the checklist in the back of the Empire books and and see the order, because of COVID happening the way it did and because of it altering release schedules, there are books that have not come out or are not coming out that have been canceled or whatever that should have come out prior to issue three having come out Uh, on one hand i don't necessarily fault them because COVID is what COVID is right right. um and and there was no there's no predicting any of that but i do fault them for not just shifting the whole release schedule back because you know i think it was issue three maybe of empire it references events that happened in Fantastic Four number 22. Yep. Well, I don't know if it came out today, but it sure as hell hasn't come out before issue three of Empire. Yeah, it came It came out today. Yeah, that's, okay. that's another problem. I read Celestial Messiah after reading issue four, and Celestial Messiah, the events of that book take place before Empire number three. Now, of course, what happens in the one shot, not all that important. But there's an a, there's a reference to it in issue four of Empire. So since they reference it, it matters. And that's probably the other thing that I can I can honestly say that I appreciate. They make references to the other books yeah. that are except except for the X-Men stuff so far. They make references to the other stuff and say, hey, check out such and such because this shit's going on over there. Again, I'm enjoying the story, but I think I would enjoy it more if they didn't try to make it so big. I'll use Iron Man 2020 as an example. Iron Man 2020 is its own thing. It's not actually happening in the Iron Man book because technically the Iron Man book is done. It's an event. You've got the five issue miniseries, but then you have all of the tie-in miniseries that aren't associated to other books. It's an event in and of itself. Over here, it's it's like it's again, it's hey, okay, so the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are gonna be dealing with some shit. Who wants to play in the sandbox? And it's I feel like at Marvel, it's like, well, if I don't raise my hand and say I, I'm gonna get some kind of a shit assignment, or I'm not gonna be able to do such and such with my character in my book. So uh uh I'd like to be a part of Empire. I'm also getting a little event fatigued out. That was going to be what I was going to say. I, you know, with all of the events that have happened at Marvel, I mean, we're getting one every quarter of the year now, almost. Yeah, and it's not just Marvel, right? No, no, it's yeah, it's all over the board, and it and it's getting really tiring because I miss the build. Now, I, I will say that I am extremely excited for the upcoming King in Black, Null storyline that is coming up later this year which is the later quarter event right but again that's a storyline that donny cates has been building and developing since he first arrived at marvel i mean no since like yeah it's it's even before yeah he started venom yeah he's right. been building this when he was doing other books yeah this has been so this has been a long-term build and what is what's interesting about it is that it doesn't seem to be in any way affected by any of these other events, which means that they could have just cut all of these other events 
and just built to the king in black, which I'm hoping because it's Donny Cates, I'm hoping will be good. This just feels like, oh, we've got a we've got a quarter of this year with no event and we have to fill it with something because we're building to king in black, but we don't want to do anything that's going to change a status quo or anything like that. And um, here, here's Empire. Because it doesn't feel like when this is done, there's going to be any status quo change or any relevance to the event happening. You mean you mean to tell me that things will never be the same again isn't <laughs> going to be the, the buzz yeah. the buzzwords? Right, right. Even though they try to push that on everything, you know, I, I it's just and and even even the the events they've done in recent years where things happen that are never going to be the same again. Okay, the stuff that changes, who gives a shit? But it changes. I really honestly don't feel like anything is going to change by the end of this. This is just a big alien invasion story. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I'm I'm loving the hell. It's exciting. Yeah. But I'm, you know, and and I will give it that. It's it's more exciting than a lot of the events have been over recent years, I think. I mean, I've been caught up in the action of it, but it is pretty much just that. It is pretty much just an explosion story. Well, I will say this, since I am the only one who has read issue four, and I know even though we'd have a spoiler warning at the beginning, I won't ruin it for either you or Smurfy. In issue four, two major things do happen that does change things for these characters mm. going forward. Now, of course, whoever picks up these characters later on, that's that's on them to keep it going. But there are some pretty big reveals in issue four that I was very surprised that I was like, uh, oh, so I'm actually I'm glad that next week issue five comes out and I don't have to wait a month mm, that's good. for yeah. the next one to come out. OK. All right. OK. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. So those are our thoughts. But what are your thoughts on Empire so far? Hit us up on all of our social media. And what are they, Smurfy? Well, it, it depends what you prefer. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We even have, you know, go to the Internet and we'll guide you where to go. So we, we have our website you can go to, and it'll tell you where to go and direct you. Simple directions from a simple man. Boom. <laughs> Amazons, are they here to save us or destroy us? Tune in as I uncover the truth in my latest segment, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. Wonder Woman Dead Earth is another in DC's a large issue Elseworld post-apocalyptic series. After being asleep for a long time, what I've found on the internet is centuries, Diana is accidentally awoken in a world she doesn't recognize, fighting monsters and protecting the last bit of civilization she has come across. Diana struggles to remember her past and figure out why she's so weakened. With only three issues out and a fourth and final issue set to arrive in October, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And it's not very good, honestly. Um, <laughs> well, wow. the fact that, what the a buildup. Well, right. and, and the fact that you had to like go Google how long she's been asleep for, because they don't tell you in the book, is kind of worrisome. So the book is very heavy on, a, on something I personally dislike uh, when telling a story, and it's telling, not showing. So oh, yeah. like, what got me back into these DC Elseworlds was Batman Last Night on Earth. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was a, you know, world sprawling adventures, Batman and the head of the Joker go around and see what's left of the world after Batman comes out of this pod. He's a clone. Spoiler alert. But this, it starts off with like this little ragtag group. They're in the forest. They're trying to find food because if they don't find food, like they're going to be punished. Like it's a real Negan sense of, you know, things. Mm. Okay. And then they just accidentally stumble into the bat cave and like fall onto her pod that breaks open and she fights off one of these monsters. And I'm like, neat. So is she a clone, I guess? No, she's the actual wonder woman Hmm. apparently, but like they never tell you how long it's been, what they kind of like, they kind of show you things, but not everything kind of correlates to me. So they show you, a dead Bruce Wayne in full Batman garb, but it's just the skeleton in there. Now when they're at the campfire, they say like, you know, our ancestors didn't want to share the story of what happened. It was too hard to relive. And that these people who look to be late teens, early twenties 
have always lived this lifestyle. But then it's weird because then Cheetah is also there, but she's like been mutated by people. I'm just going to jump right into spoilers because what you find out is that humans were destroying the earth as we are. And the Themyscira went to humanity. They say humanity, but what they really mean is this is like the United States. Cause they keep saying humanity, <laughs> but like it's, it's us. Right. And like, they tried to tell them, you know, Hey, here's how we can work to fix it. The ocean levels are rising. Cause the mascara was getting covered in water and humanity basically apparently tells them to go fuck themselves. And then they have, <laughs> and then they have a war. Like, of course the, but the way it's described is it's all of humanity versus the mascara. But again, it's really just the United States in the middle of it. The Amazons are winning against the United States military, which maybe like, but I don't think there's that many Amazonian. Like, I think like if in a fair fight, you know, like five Amazons versus five, you know, Marines, Marines right. right. Amazons win hands down. Sure. Right. right? But against the entire United States Army, I, I got to say, war of attrition's on our side, my guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, have we? Did we? Do we nuke them yet? Because okay, be, hold on, because we're about oh, okay. to get there. Oh, yeah, okay. stop so, yeah. jumping. See, Sorry. you also are reading it, aren't you? No, I just, I just know how the military works, and man. The only superhero they show during all this is Superman, and he sides with the humans because. He also hates the planet and wants it to <laughs> Apparently Superman has seen Waterworld in this universe and he's like, that's that's what I want. That's what we need. That's I what we need here now, guys. So Superman wants Waterworld to occur, and then the United States president, th- they actually show the president, launches the nukes on not only just the mascara, which why they're launching nukes at the mascara and not like other kinds of missiles first whatever they also have somehow you remember in civil war hydra has a technology to like locate any threat yeah that vaguely yeah yeah so like apparently the united states has been keeping track of every amazonian that's left the mascara has them on file and also sends a nuke there oh that's good so, so like, there's one in san francisco we're nuking ourselves yeah horrific so they send like hundred i mean the page shows hundreds of nukes heading to the mascara and then like apparently just nukes all around because I think only one nuke would have to be sent to the, I mean, it's a nuke. Well, the mascara is cause just a, the mascara is just an I, island. I, that's True. what I was going to say. Why are we sending like, yeah, that's a, that's well, but a normally with the, the way the U S military is once we, you nuke like one city, cause we have nukes aimed at them. They've got nukes aimed at us. Once one person launches one, everybody launches it. And then we have nuclear winner. That's just how it works. That's why it's like a standoff. So but imagine once we're launching our nukes, everyone's going to launch their nukes. So bye-bye world. Maybe. Sure. Like, I mean, sure. But again, this isn't really conveyed right. because like after the missiles go off, Superman just busts in the white house. Like, what did you do? How dare you? Yeah. And then why did I side with you? <laughs> right. It seems so out of character for me. You know what guys? <laughs> uh, my mistake. Sorry. Wrong, wrong team. Wrong and, team. and then he flies to Kansas because a nuke was heading to Smallville. Yeah, because they're right by silos, man. You didn't know that? Sure, right. <laughs> and and while this is happening, uh, Wonder Woman makes it back in time, has a conversation with her mom, takes off her bracelets, which in this universe are meant to dampen her power. Because without these bracelets is essentially the world-ending Hulk. Hmm. Okay. So All right. she blows up the nukes by running into them. But again, they're fucking nukes. Right. So they would just detonate. Yeah, they just blow up. Whatever. But then, like, she's, like, and she's going super fast. She's taking, like, most, she takes out probably about, I don't know, I want to say, like, 30 to 50% of them. But then they all hit the mascara. They blow it up. She's super mad. Superman shows up. He's like, oh, I would have totally helped you stop all these nukes. But there was literally one missile, and it went to Smallville, and I had to go stop that because I had family there. And I'm just like, Ugh. where are the other heroes? <laughs> You're right. What what's going on? Like, I really want to like this book because what you find out is that the nukes hit the mascara and destroy it. But because Amazonians are not 
mortals. They are crafted from the gods. It doesn't kill them and instead mutates them into like these awful and perverse creatures, which is a great idea. And I love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's hmm. that, I, okay. I can get behind right. that. I can get behind yeah. that part. Is this how do how do you get there? Uh, I don't know. Scribble <laughs> question yeah, mark. Yeah, like, again, like that's what it is. I can't believe that this wasn't written by Crazy Uncle Frank. <laughs> that's yeah, true. I really, mean, yeah. it, it, it's kind of uh, like I really want to like it because, like, I'll let you guys and all the listeners in on a big secret. I am a post-apocalyptic basic bitch. Same. You give me <laughs> no, same. I love anything like that. I'll read it. Right. If you give me a good post-apocalyptic movie, TV show, comic book, I will, I will just read it like and have a grin on my face like a Cheshire cat. But this is not it, my guys, and I'm sorry to say that because I love the art in this. Some and like some of the uh, the ideas are beautiful. So apparently, the Amazonians are kind of immortal. Is is kind of what they don't tell you. Because Cheetah is still here, right? And it's been centuries. So one would think Cheetah should have died because right. she was, and I guess in this one, she's also kind of Amazonian, but she's around. And like two of the big uh, problems I have of them um, saying and not showing is Wonder Woman goes to the mascara with like the civilization she's won. Because essentially, it's almost, oh my God, now that I'm thinking about it, this really is kind of like World War Hulk in a bit where she's captured and she has to fight in a gladiator pit against oh Cheetah. And then because she's able, because during all this, the, the monsters attack again, but because she helps out in the fight, she's able to win over the crowd and she is essentially becomes the ruler of this civilization. My God. Well, that is that is pretty much World War yeah. Hulk. Yeah, that's right. That's now that I'm saying quick, it out loud, quick, yeah. we got it. We got a Wonder Woman co- movie coming out this year. What, what yeah. can we put out? Right. I mean, and like, any idea will do. <laughs> any idea? Yeah. At all, guys. Like, let's just pa- poorly do World War Hulk. But I want to focus on like, two, and again, this is only three issues. The first issue, not bad. It feels rushed. Like it feels like story elements are rushed because we should care about these you know, five humans she cares about. And so when they start getting killed off, it, it should hit. But I don't, it's like, I've known this person one page. I don't care. Right, and then right. right when they get back to the civilization, they immediately betray Wonder Woman, knock her out and offer her as, you know, a prize to essentially Negan. I keep saying, I'm going to say these two examples and here they are. The first example is when they go to the mascara, Wonder Woman says to the two humans that she brought, stay here. I'm going to go figure this out. Obviously, they're humans. They don't. And they end up like saving, quote unquote, Wonder Woman from Hippolyta, who's showing her who's like Vulcan mind melding with her to show her the past. But what you find out in the next issue is that somewhere along this, they also found the lasso of truth. And the one who grabbed it just immediately knew how to use it. Okay, And like and like they never show like they show this person a lot but you never see the lasso on them. They don't show them finding the lasso. And for all intents and purposes, they had no free time to go exploring the ruins because the second they stepped off, one of the guards that's there is chasing them. Cause when they come into that room with wonder woman and Apollota, like one's being chased by the guard. So, okay. So they found it. The next one is, Wonder Woman, who's been talking about, you know, redemption and love and like, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. And there's a really great moment where like she gives Negan a second chance and he he proves worthy of it. The twist is when they get back from the mascara, Wonder Woman's done. She hates humanity. How could they have done this to her? And it just like, OK, so she's like, take me, Cheetah, to see him and obviously cheetah knows who she's talking about but we don't but she's talking about superman and the one human who's left alive has to go back to the civilization be like wonder woman left us blah 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 and they're like no go to her because she's wearing batman's utility belt we're able to track her with batman technology sure whatever okay okay where is she well she's way up north okay so from right now they are at a place where they can sail to the mascara. So I'm, what is that? Uh, East coast, let's say. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where. Sure. The let's say it's, let's say it's yeah, East coast. Know. They go to the fortress of solitude. This person leaves 
on a motorcycle <laughs> and then like shows up two days later at the North Pole. He and just drove across like, the water. Just right. And it's still it. like a frozen wasteland. So it's still cold as hell. And they're just there. And this person like just shows up. He's like, yeah, I, I rode here on the same motorcycle. I had plenty of gas. <laughs> One tank. <laughs> One tank got there. One ta- Five was, gallons of gas. It was, it was a tank and a half, but I made it somehow, guys. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this thing gets me 100 miles to the gallon. Right. Yeah. Yikes. And, and then like she uses the lasso on Wonder Woman. And it's just and what you find out is that is after Wonder Woman failed to save the mascara from the hundreds of nuclear bombs that would have surely destroyed the planet anyway, she kills Superman. And by doing the they have a fight so large and it encompasses the whole world that their fight burns the earth to cinder. It's it's called the Great Fire. It's mentioned earlier. There's two things that they that these people know happened. The Great War, which is the United States versus the Amazonians. And then there's the great fire, which scorched the earth. And that's literally Wonder Woman fighting Superman all over the world, destroying it. And then she kills him in the Fortress of Solitude by shoving kryptonite in his gut and then punching it all through. And I've got to tell you, I think if a fight comes down to Wonder Woman versus Superman, I think Diana wins nine out of ten times anyway. She's got the killer instinct. But like, it's... It's got good ideas, but they're just so poorly utilized. And like, I what said, I want to know during all this is, what is Aquaman doing? Like, his kingdom has just expanded. Like, how's he doing? Like, where are the rest of these heroes? Where's like, Green Lantern at to help grab some of those nukes out of the air? Right, like, like off planet. Anything. Great. He had to stop the one nuke that was going to. I don't know, Seattle, who knows? I, I think it's I think it really writing, but with great ideas in it. That's what. That's what the most infuriating thing is. The great I, ideas. I, right. And I think it boils down to the fact that it's black label and it's, and technically it, it doesn't count. Right. It's an Elseworld story. If essentially you can pretty much do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about setting up the certain rules that you need, but it's storytelling. So you have to do that. If the world was about to go to war with the mascara, the justice league would have stepped in. Right, but all they show is So why didn't they? And and see, that's the thing. You need to tell us why it didn't happen for us to understand how all the bad shit did happen. You can't just say, the bad shit happened because this, this, and this. But, but, whoa, whoa, excuse me, but the Justice League. Right. Or, like... Oh, oh, don't worry about them. They don't exist here. What? But you got to tell me that. Yeah, exactly. Or at the beginning, be like, in a world where there's no Justice League and only a few heroes live and then continue your story. So we go, oh, now if we only see Superman and Wonder Woman, we know only a few heroes live here. We're cool with that. But you can't be like, it's going on. Like, oh, okay. And and that's where it gets real bad with the tell not show because half the time they don't even tell you shit. So, okay. What it's very heavy handed in the writing where they're. Wonder Woman's remembering back to her mother's words about how mankind doesn't deserve her love, et cetera, et cetera. But Diana's like, no, no, they're pretty cool. I met a human once. And it's like a waist up shot of Steve Trevor after just, you know, landing. And she's talking about how, like, he was so handsome. She looked into his eyes. There was like fear, curiosity, all this great stuff. And that's nice. But then she remembers it again later. But now it's the full shot. And now she remembers that one hand was going towards his pistol. As he had that look on, it's like, well, no, no, no. You had to show me that the whole time. You don't get to just selectively show me things that have a consequence later. You can't retcon yourself mid-story. Right. You can't. Well, I mean, I I, I get what they're trying to do there. You know, you you show only what you need to know for the moment so that you try to have a surprise later of, oh, look, this was the way this was all along. And that's that's fine. That's That's a good trick that can be used. But. Not if you don't really have a decent twist to work with. I mean, you know, and if and if that twist ends up contradicting other things that you've done, then it does. Then it's pointless, right? And I, th- I think the worst thing to me is like Batman last night on Earth did post-apocalyptic superhero stuff real well. You saw people what they were up to. Uh, they they would say if someone was dead, like the 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 teleportation where they have to go to Specter's giant cloak because he was dead. I get it. You know, old yeah, man I, Logan, like stuff like that. This is just not done well. And it 
it breaks my heart because again the art is great the ideas are good but it's like give me something here but that's just my opinion on wonder woman dead earth if you're reading it what do you think and tell me why i'm wrong <laughs> head on over to our instagram take a picture of you giving me the finger tag us in it and say pistol wonder woman dead earth is the greatest greatly written great to ever great the page of comic book greatness one more case before retirement well guys I, I gotta tell you my favorite author of all time is larry mcmurtry and my my favorite novel of all time is lonesome dove and uh, I, I've read it twice, and then I've read passages multiple times from it. I've read, gosh, I don't know, 10, 12 different McMurtry books, some that are Westerns, some that are modern-day Western-ish, in the sense that they take place in either West Texas or South Texas. I'm also a very big fan of Cormac McCarthy, and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read any of Cormac McCarthy's stuff. You've probably seen some of the movies that are based on his books, the road that uh, which is you know quite quite possibly one of the most bleak post-apocalyptic stories I've ever seen but but incredibly brilliantly written no country for old men which uh, mr. X and I both agree I think that that we love the movie until the end because uh, there is no end well because the <clears throat> end kind of happens off screen and I, I'm very interested to read the book one day to see if the book is any different but um, Blood Meridian is is his piece uh, that that he's very well known for that they say is unfilmable. Anyway, the reason that I bring those two up is because of the new book from Image Comics, That Texas Blood. The question that I think most people ask about this book is, what in the world is that thing about? And I got to tell you, after the first issue, I don't know that I could tell you either. But okay. it becomes very clear after the second issue. And I'll get to that in a minute. The thing that I want to touch on is that this comic feels like a Cormac McCarthy or Larry McMurtry book. It, it instantly transports you to the world that these people live in without forcing you into it, without doing anything, and without really giving you any kind of plot, which... Trust me, if you read McMurtry, there are many chapters of his books where it seems like nothing's happening, but there is so much inner character development that, that there's tons happening, even yeah. though story-wise there's not. Well, that's what this book seems to be. So I'm going to kind of break down the first two issues because that's all that is out as of now. And I was still a little on the fence as to whether I was going to keep getting it. But I think I am. I think I'm going to keep up with it. So issue one introduces us to the first of our two main characters, Sheriff Joe Bob, who is the sheriff of a fictitious, almost sort of uh, rundown, but not quite West Texas small town. And it starts on his 70th birthday. And it, it's clear that he's he's getting close. He's probably going to retire soon. And the whole first issue, it's just him, just in his day. There's no plot. It's him sitting in his squad car out on the side of the road, talking to his wife. His wife keeps nagging him throughout the whole book. You got to go over to, to Ruth and, and get my casserole dish because I'm making something for you for your birthday tonight. And I need my casserole dish back. So he goes to try to get it, and Ruth won't open the door, and he can hear her yelling and arguing with her husband. And then he's sitting out on this road, and, and her husband drives by really fast, and he's wasted. And, and it's, just, it's just kind of a day in the life on his 70th birthday in this small little West Texas town. But it instantly puts you there. It's, it's amazing how... Even though nothing happens, there's so much that you're learning about Sheriff Joe and what life is like in this small town. What eventually occurs at the end of the book 
at the end of the first issue is that, you know, the Ruth's husband is driving down the road and he's like flying. He's like doing 120. So Sheriff pulls him over and he's like, hey, you know, what what are you doing, man? You know, I came by earlier. I tried to get the casserole dish from you. And now you're, you know, what are you, drunk again? And he comes around to the side of the car and the guy's sitting there. He's covered in blood. He's got a gun in his lap and he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't really have much of a choice. I had to do it. And he puts a gun to his chin. He blows his brains out. Oh, and in the back seat of the car is the casserole dish. Well, hopefully it didn't get dirty. Right. <laughs> it was covered. It's covered in uh, in in brain and, and goo. And uh, and it's a really funny moment because it's four panels uh, that run down the page right after he blows his, his head off. Sheriff Joe is in the first panel. He's standing there staring at the truck with guts all over the back. And then he's walking towards the sheriff car. Then he gets in the sheriff car, and then the last panel is him in the sheriff's car on his phone to his wife, and he goes, well, I found the casserole dish. <laughs> and it's and it's stuff like that. The dialogue is like that. It uh, it feels like, you know, this Cormac McCarthy or, or Larry McMurtry or, or hell, even Dashiell Hammett, who wrote, you know, Maltese Falcon and that. It feels like one of these kinds of modern Western crime noir books with dialogue, you know, I don't know, written by like the Cohen brothers or somebody. And issue two, we meet the second of our two main characters. A guy by the name of Randy Ter- Terrell, Terrell, I'm, I'm assuming it's Terrell, but I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I'm going to say Terrell. And we meet him because at the beginning of issue two, Sheriff Joe is called out to somewhere in the desert where a body has been found and the buzzards are already flying around it. And it's the body of Randy's brother. And that same time, Randy, who now lives in a, a city far away, has this vision of his brother walking into his bedroom. And then as soon as he puts his glasses on, the vision is gone and the phone rings and he picks up the phone and he's informed that his brother is dead and he has to go back home. The rest of issue two really kind of follows Randy and we get to know him and how he grew up in this town and he finally got out and he became a writer and now he has to come back because of his brother. And when he gets back, it seems like everybody he comes across says, hey, wait a minute, you're that you're you're little Randy, aren't you? You uh, you better not be staying too long. We don't want no more trouble around here. Sorry about your brother, but uh, it was kind of the, the perfect end for somebody like him. So it turns out that him and his brother are not very well liked and something went down in the past and now nobody wants him around. But he just figures his brother's dead. He's coming back to pick him up when he ends up getting pulled over by Sheriff Joe, who informs him, no, your your brother's been murdered. Obviously, here's our plot. It's a murder mystery in this weird little town in the West. The interesting thing about both books is, like I said in issue two, Randy has this vision of his brother in his bedroom, in his apartment, in wherever it is that he lives now. Well, in issue one, Sheriff Joe reminisces about when he first joined this force and how he was sitting out at a campfire one night talking to the previous sheriff. And the previous sheriff tells this horrific story about his younger brother and and his younger brother's pet deer, and how their dad killed the deer, and tricked his younger brother into eating the deer, and all this stuff. And and as they're sitting there and talking, this, what looks like somewhat emaciated zombie-like thing, comes out of the darkness with a shotgun. And Joe stands up to take a shot, and he looks over at the, the then-sheriff, who is standing there smiling at him, but his stomach is cut open and his guts are falling out. So I don't know if these are just mental hallucinations and nightmares that are being worked into the story, or if the book is going to have a supernatural slant to it as it goes. But there's enough that is interesting in it, and there's enough questions that I feel I, I'm curious about answers to to keep me getting the book. The other thing that I find interesting about it is that in the back of the book, they were talking about how this project came about. 
And evidently, the creators of the book, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, this is their first solo outing in comic books ever. This is their very first attempt. Uh, Jacob Phillips, who is the artist and the colorist, apparently has done colors for other books. But Chris Condon, the writer, this is his first time writing a comic. Well, these two got together years ago and wrote a movie, a feature-length film called Texas Blood, that they tried time and time again to sell and get funding for and you know, Mr. X, you know, as well as I do with the Western that we've been trying to get funding on for, for many years now, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are or how close you are, that funding can get pulled out from you at the last minute. Oh, yeah. Well, apparently they decided to take the script and expand on it and turn it into an ongoing comic. Eventually, I assume that they will end and it will get to the end of what the movie is from what the back of the book says issue one is the first few scenes of the original screenplay. And then it starts to, to build and develop the town and, and all the other characters more than a, a movie could. So that, that piques my interest too, to kind of see, well, all right, you know, let's see how well these guys who have never written a comic before can take a movie, which has a finite amount of time to tell a story how well can they tell it in comic book form and continue it theoretically ongoing? It's a really interesting book. And again, the, the thing that just really grabs me about it is that it you instantly feel like you're there. You instantly are a part of everything. And I'll tell you, when I first when I finished reading the first two issues, I thought, well, this is really cool. I really like this. I don't know why, because there's nothing really happening. And then I let it sit with me for about an hour and a half or so and thought about it. And I thought, no, this is this is really good. It's a build. It's a slow build. But we're getting enough character development without, unlike Dead, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, without it being forced on us, we're getting enough character development to make it interesting and intriguing. Well, it's image. Image Comics uh, allows their their creators to try things that you wouldn't normally see or even attempt in mainstream comic books. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you guys know as well as I do that Image, you know, that doesn't guarantee quality. I mean, I, I always get a lot of first issues from Image to try things out. And I know, Mr. X, you've borrowed a number of them, of them from me over the years and Sometimes they're really good, and sometimes they're real misses. This one is one that I think has some potential to it. And and I wanted to bring this one up because there are only two issues out. So if anybody is interested in it, yes, it's selling like crazy. And yes, it's already building quite a, a fan base and a following. You can still find the first two issues. They are still out there. If you act now, as they say. <laughs> um, before they start going up. Because if the upcoming issues develop in any way the way these first two do, I think this is going to be a hit. I think it's going to be a runaway hit. And I think these first two issues are going to very quickly be difficult to find. And that's where we ask you, are you reading that Texas Blood from Image Comics? If so, head on over to our Facebook page and let us know your thoughts. I would have to say over the last six to eight months, the property known as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has gotten a lot of buzz and, and it's all good buzz. Personally speaking, it's all good buzz. Not only has the IDW comic book series reached issue 100 towards the end of last year, but there have been two major announcements that have happened over the last handful of months. The end of last year, it was announced that there was going to be a special mini-series story entitled The Last Ronin that was coming out through IDW that was an original story from Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. So that right there, that's huge news. Yeah, yeah, that's big. And then the other news was, hey, guess what? We're getting 
a movie, but they're rebooting the franchise again. And that was a little frustrating because they couldn't decide the, the, the information was a little muddied. It was, we're getting a movie, but it's going to be a movie that's kind of the direct sequel to the original film from 1990, because that's a trend nowadays in mm-hmm. film. Forget a franchise and just do a sequel to the first movie again. But then that turned out to be false. Uh, Then it was going to be, all right, so it's going to be a live action show on Netflix. Well, then that that fell through. That didn't turn out to be true. Then, and this is the one that's sticking, computer animated film, very similar to the, uh, the previous one that's over 10 years old now. But this film is actually being produced by Seth Rogen's company, that he runs with uh, Evan Goldberg and James Weaver uh, at uh, Point Grey Pictures. So Seth Rogen is having a direct impact on uh, on the making of this film. And I it made me go, what? what? Mm-hmm. But when you do any kind of research on Seth Rogen, you find out Seth Rogen is a giant geek. Yeah. He loves comic books and he is a huge Ninja Turtles fan. And it was just recently announced uh, that he gave a little bit more information on uh, how his company is is handling the reboot. And he's like, one thing that I've always noticed where the movies are concerned is, is that whole teenage part is always kind of overlooked or glossed over. So the hook for this film is focusing on the teenage element as a jumping on point. And I thought about it and I was like... It's almost the same concept of how many times are we going to see Spider-Man get bit by the radioactive spider and see Uncle Ben die. But done in this new way, I think this might be the perfect way to bridge the gap between what we loved about the original movies and what could have been great about the new films that Michael Bay's studio put out. (laughs) Because let's 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 not let's not mince words. That first movie is trash. Oh, the Michael so Bay, yeah. yeah. The second horrible. movie is trash. It's just nah. The second movie is enjoyable. Puns. It's entertaining. Yeah, it's not it's, great. It's entertaining because it actually makes sense. Right. That first movie, you can tell. Oh, so many reshoots, and you forgot what story you're telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. they didn't know where they were going. So it's disjointed. Where the second one is like, okay, we know this is a cartoon movie, live action cartoon movie, so just have fun. And that's what happened. I had fun. Yeah, and it did give us finally a live action Bebop and Rocksteady. It gave us a live action Krang, or you know, somewhat live action. I enjoy the second one for what it is. I think it's a fun movie. But yes, I agree that neither one of them are great movies. I feel that this approach of dealing with them as teenagers and looking at the teenage angle to tell to to help tell your story to help develop your characters is something that hasn't really been focused on in the 90s movie specifically you can tell they act some of them act like teenagers Mm -hmm. right Uh, specifically donatello and michelangelo yes at mm-hmm. times, well, Michelangelo always acts like a teenager. Donatello acts like a teenager most of the time. And you could say Raphael is just a moody teenager. Right. And Leonardo is the responsible one. But 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 they all have moments of immaturity. Mm-hmm. And I think if we focus on that in a movie form, you can do that in a cartoon. I think one of the best cartoon series that handled that was the Nickelodeon show, the 3D animation yeah. Nickelodeon show. It's a good show. It, mm-hmm. It's a it's an excellent show. Yeah, I'm very hopeful because Seth Rogen has done teen movies a lot. Now, of course, they've all been rated R, right? And I don't necessarily I don't want a rated R Ninja Turtle movie for language. I'll take a rated R Ninja Turtle movie for violence. Yeah, if he can hold back the cuss words, you know, for once, that would be nice. And the thing is, though, is that this is this is still through Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon animation studio Mm -hmm. and Paramount pictures is the one who's distributing it. So it's still going to be geared towards family, right? We might be able to get a, a PG 13 maybe. Right. You know, the other thing too, though, that's exciting about that animated film is I'm sure that they are looking at this as their answer to into the spider verse. 
you know, I yes. mean, into the yeah. Spider-Verse. That's exactly what I was thinking, man. Like, this could yeah, be Yeah, I mean, yeah. Into the Spider-Verse changed everything, not just because of its box office, but winning the Oscar for Best Animated Film. I mean, yes, the Oscars are, are to a certain extent, a bunch of bullshit. And we could, that's a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different podcast. podcast. It's a whole right. different episode. And actually, we do have one similar to that. Go back into our archives and check it out. But it doesn't change the fact that every studio head and every exec saw oh, wait, are you telling me a movie that doesn't have a Disney princess or wasn't made by Studio Ghibli just won Best Animated Film? Quick, what other properties can we do? Right. That's my only hope is, no, we're not going to get an R-rated Ninja Turtles movie. But if we can get something that borders between a PG and a PG-13, man, we might actually get something that is Spider-Verse comparable. Yeah, I, I would prefer more live action. I would prefer something akin to the 90s film. Sure, sure. But I know I'm never going to get that, unfortunately. I'm never going to get that again. So I'll I'll appreciate the 90s film as what it is. And uh, I hope for the best where this film, this this reboot is concerned. And And really, this wasn't even my original talking point for my current issues. I did this specifically because I get a a message on our group chat today from Smurfy <laughs> with a question. Yep. Seth Rogen is re- rebooting Ninja Turtles question mark. And we're all like, well, you're kind of answering your own question because if you're, <laughs> if you're looking yeah. at the headline <laughs> of the right. article, obviously Seth Rogen is rebooting the Ninja Turtles. So pistol and I just made fun of him. He was like, uh, pistol was like, yes, question mark. <laughs> And then we were like, yes, yes, it's happening. And I was, and then I poked fun even more. I was like, yep. you know what might, might help if you actually read an article instead of the headline. But why do that when I have you guys? Know now. But exactly. I have you guys for that. Why read when I have you guys in this podcast? To fill that's me right. in that's, on that's all that's our what I joked back. Yeah. Like, why would I read? I was why more surprised. Why would I read when I have a podcast that I can listen to? I'll be honest. I was more surprised. I didn't hear anything of this until today. Like I, oh, I, wow. I kind of heard okay. rumors. Oh, wow. That's why I was like question mark. Cause I was like, I heard nothing of this from any of you guys or anyone. So I was like, where did this come from? So, so it sounds like it was in the works for a while, which I knew that property was kind of up in the air for a while after those horrible Michael Bay movies. I just didn't know where it landed at. Good to know. Well, again, it took me by surprise. Cause I'm like, okay, Seth, Seth Rogen. But here's the thing. If anybody, if you've, if you've watched preacher, mm-hmm. yep. he's a, he was a huge fan of Garth Ennis's preacher. And he was responsible for doing an entire season of a, a show that was the prequel to the comic book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't, you, you, well, you don't really see that that often. Anymore. Right. And I got to say, I mean, I have not finished preacher. I only have the first two seasons, but I was a huge fan of the comic and season two, man, it, you know, yeah, of course it changes things and it condenses things, but man, it's pretty much preacher. They, yeah. they pretty much nailed all the all the primary moments. And so you got to think that he'll have that same attention Re- and, and respect. respect. Yeah. 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 you got to think that he'll have that. Yeah. Hopefully everything will work out. And, and, and since it's animated, they can get to work on it whenever. Yeah. Right. You don't have to worry about live people getting sick. Yep. So, so there's that. But but my real talking point for my current issues segment is the last Ronin because, oh my God, I am yeah, so excited about this comic. It was announced in December of 2019 and it came about now. I did some more, even more digging because there's been a lot of misconception when it was announced. Everybody was like, Oh, Kevin and Peter are getting back together and rewriting an old story that they never published and putting it out. Now that's not the case. This is actually a script that was written mostly by Peter Laird back in 1987 that was a future story, you know, set in the future. And ironically, the date for that they he set it in was 2017. Yeah. <laughs> During all my research, evidently, Peter Laird was, was Nostradamus level accurate to things that he predicted would happen by 2017, because evidently the majority of them did. Hmm. Now all the, the articles don't go into what exactly they were, but it's kind of interesting that all the creators who are behind this were like, Holy crap. He's did he have a crystal ball? 
the new book is an updated version of that story and is evidently kind of set in its own continuity. So it's not necessarily this story is the future of the IDW turtles, but it might not also be the future of the old Mirage turtles. Mm. So, so I, I'm very interested to see how, how, it, how that does work. And even though Laird isn't working on the project, he did give his blessing because Kevin even said, man, this would be great if you came and helped out. And, he, and Laird was like, I'm retired because, you know, he's got millions of dollars now because of, yeah, because of that the, deal. the sale of the turtles. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to work anymore and he's not, but he gave his blessings. And I'm super excited about this because the the essential story that has been and there's very little on the information. There's only it's in the future. We don't know exactly what year it is, but Pistol, listen up. Kind of a post-apocalyptic type feel. (laughs) It's almost like escape from New York. Only you're not trying to escape from New York. He's trying to escape into New York. There's only one turtle. He is the last Ronin. Mm hmm. And in all of the art, he's all dressed in black and he has one of each weapon. Mm. So you don't know which turtle it is. And I love that concept because you're going to, you're going to project, you're going to wonder, well, of course it's got to be Leonardo. He's of of course he would survive or it's got to be Raph. He's the bat. He's the baddest mofo out there. He's the one who outlasted all of his other brothers. I wonder if your prediction is the same as mine. My prediction, there's a lot of people online that are saying that it's Donatello, which would make sense if it was still the original Laird story, because Peter Laird, I mean, Donatello was Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would make sense that the somewhat pacifist would become this ultimate warrior seeking revenge for his fallen brothers uh, for the story. But me personally, I want to say it's Michelangelo. I yep, I think so too. That's why uh, my money is on Mikey. I was gonna put money on Raphael. Uh, I was gonna put money on Michelangelo as well because all hmm. the research I haven't done, he's a party dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a story angle. It would be interesting to find out what horrible things had to have happened to turn somebody who had such a big heart into this cold, mm-hmm. calculating killer. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm ex- I'm super excited. Technically, it should have started this month. Had COVID not happened, the first issue would have come out in August. But it's coming out in September. It is bi-monthly. It will be five issues, forty pages each. Dang, that's gonna be a ten dollar book. It's an eight ninety nine book. I was close. IDW has a beautiful way of doing those oversized 40, uh, 40 paged books in a it's like paper a for their card cover. Stock of, yeah. Card yeah, stock. It's like a hard, yeah, card stock. stock, right. Okay. But it's 40 pages. Just imagine 40 pages times five with all of that awesomeness. It's a book I might have to pick up because I, I have yeah, no problem. It, yeah. I'm sold on it. Yeah. yeah I have no it. problem paying eight ninety nine right. per issue for that. Oh, and it's also oversized. Uh, yeah. So it's it's go it's literally going back to the original Ninja Turtle books, the the magazine sized. I'm over here geeking out in front of my microphone, guys. You can't see it, but I'm <laughs> geeking out. I'm geeking out, man. And I cannot wait to review the first issue on the podcast for all our listeners. This is going to be huge because not only do I love the Ninja Turtles. Not only do I love future stories in comic books and and movies and shit like that, but damn it, I get to experience it with all of you. Mm -hmm. We've given our predictions, but I really want to know, who do you think is the last Ronin? Head on over to our social media sites. It doesn't matter which one, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're everywhere. And let us know who you think will be the last Ronin. Is it Donnie? Is it Raph? Is it Leo? Or is it Michelangelo, the party dude? Those were our current issues, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you found the content entertaining and informative. Until our next installment, I am Mr. X. I am Dr. Impact. 
I'm the lovable Smurfy. Signing off. Mud Danger. Encouraging you to write your own comic book. We probably won't read it, but at least you've done something in your life. That's our show, folks. Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers, sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic pics, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time, keep your turtle shells waxed. (laughs) Your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy, not the containment unit. Current issues, where your hosts take a long, hard look at the world around them, ignore the more pre- The fuck was that? Sorry, my bad. I forgot to turn my phone off. My bad. <laughs> How long have you been doing this? Amateur. Jay, I know. amateur. Amateur. I know. Fucking rookie move. <laughs> Sorry. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I can't you have failed you know. this podcast. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's try that again, shall we? Yes. Take two. I ended up reading Empire number four, and then I read the Celestial Messiah one-shot, which... Technically, the events. Sorry. Go ahead. You 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 done? I'm done. You you comfy? I can't Fucking help man. it. It's my chair. WD forty. All right, go. That's two. <laughs> One more you out. Oh, oh, oh. One more you out. Oh, okay. All right. Your pull oh, list man. is redonkulous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Again, like it's easier to write. Here's what he's not reading. Yeah. <laughs> These three comics. Reading. Here's what Dr. Impact isn't reading. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Nailed it. laughs>